Welcome to Pod to the Rescue. Rescuing the dog is just the first step. We're here to help with everything that comes next. Welcome back to Pod to the Rescue. I'm Libby. And I'm Emily. And today we are interviewing Emily Trinetti. Emily Trinetti is a graduate with honors from the Academy for Dog Trainers, holds a certificate in applied animal behavior from the University of Washington, and a master's degree in anthrozoology from Canisius College. She's now pursuing her Doctor of Education, specializing in humane education at Antioch University. Emily is also a co-founder of the Humane Alliance of Rescue Trainers, HART, which matches rescues and shelters to credentialed trainers for behavior support at no cost. Emily did an internship with SDR back in 2018 when she was working on her master's degree, and we are thrilled to have her be one of our first guests on the podcast. It was such a great interview. We're so lucky we got to have Emily come by. We talk in depth about body language and how important it is for dog guardians to be able to read their dogs and understand what our dogs are telling us all the time. Yeah, it's something that I didn't know when I got into this, but yeah, we're a verbal species and they're a nonverbal species. They primarily communicate through body language. And it's really important if you're going to share your life with dogs or rescue dogs to understand what they're trying to tell us. So I was really thrilled to have this conversation with Emily. Absolutely. I think this is a must listen episode for any dog person. So we hope you enjoy it. All right, Emily Trinetti, welcome to Pod to the Rescue. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Let's jump right in. If you had one thing that you felt was the most important thing for dog guardians to know, what would that be? That is such a great question. So I think that dog body language is the most important thing for dog guardians, as well as professionals who work with dogs or people in in, um, rescue work. Um, Definitely dog body language is the most important thing for all of us to know. Um, There have been several studies that have found that, you know, um, many dog guardians don't do a great job at recognizing signs of fear, anxiety, and stress in their dogs. And so when we can't tell if our dogs are stressed, this means that we might continue to put them in situations that cause them fear and anxiety. And when dogs are continually exposed to their, to the things that, that, you know, make them feel fearful or stressed, there's a high risk that they'll become even more fearful and stressed, which eventually could present as like reactivity or aggression. And so by learning how to read our dog's body language, we'll be able to you know, again, like identify when our dogs are experiencing fear, anxiety, and stress we'll then be able to prevent those, um, those emotional experiences. We'll be able to prevent fear, anxiety, and stress from worsening um, or escalating to aggression. And obviously this is so important from like a safety perspective. Um, of course, the safety of not only us humans, but also our dogs. But it's also really important for the, just the welfare and well-being of dogs. You know, I, I think I love all of the like, kind of dog bite safety information that's out there. 
But one thing that I, I would love to see more of is how important, you know, learning dog body language is for our dog's welfare and well-being. So it's not just all about us keeping us humans safe. It's really important for our dogs too to, to understand or for us to understand what they're telling us. And, and so when we can objectively observe what our dogs are experiencing, we can then make changes to their environment or to the context to make sure they feel safe and comfortable. And then we can also better identify what our dogs are enjoying and, and make sure that we provide more of those, um, those enjoyable opportunities for them. Oh my gosh. I love this so much. And I love what you said about, it's not just about our safety for bite prevention, it's about the dog's safety and well-being because we know from working in shelters and rescues that a dog with a bite history is really difficult for a rescue to place. And if it's bad enough and there are enough bites, that could be a death sentence for the dog. And understanding body language and preventing it from ever getting to that point is a huge part of a dog's safety and welfare. Um, and then the welfare piece, we know from human studies that the effects of elevated cortisol over time is just, it can wreck our health. And so the same has got to be, I don't know if there are any studies about this and, you know, maybe you know that, that, but you know, the same must be true for our dogs that just being stressed out all the time because you're anxious and no one is, he, no one is listening I mean, that's not healthy for our dogs. Yeah, exactly. And there has been um, some research, like animal welfare research that, you know, has found that when animals, non-human animals are chronically stressed, it's very similar to, to what happens to us humans when we're chronically stressed. It does impact us, not only emotionally, but physically as well. So, you know, there are so many reasons why it's important to understand dog body language. It's, you know, it's not just for safety. It's not just to make sure they feel good. It's for their physical health and of course their mental health. Um, it's, it's a very, very complex, um, a lot of complex reasons for why this is so important. But the wonderful thing is, is that um, it's, it's a lot easier to learn how to speak their language. Um, I, I think that, um, and of course, obviously there's, there is some, it can be tough to kind of understand, you know, there's a lot of, I would say there can be some disagreement about what different things mean in regards mm. to dog body language. Um, but I feel like we, we, especially over the last several years, we're learning a lot more about, about dogs, about their behavior, about their body language. And we're starting to see a bit more agreement about what different things mean, which is really nice for us animal trainers to be able to work together, but also it's, it's, it's been really helpful to, to be able to more effectively educate, um, pet guardians on how to, you know, how to understand what their dogs are saying. You know, when you go to a foreign country like France, you get a little phrase book and you have just a couple of things that you know to get around. If you were going to coach um, a new person understanding, learning dog body language, what would you say would be like the top five things you would tell them to look for? I love that example. And I, I love that question. I think the idea of perceiving our interactions with our dogs kind of in the same way of like, you know, 
communicating with someone who speaks a different language. I, I, I really, I really like that mm-hmm. communication. Um, I, I looked this up because I was interested in like, you know, what exactly is the definition of communication? And at least one of the definitions I found was that it's a process by which information is exchanged between individuals. And so, you know, research has shown that dogs are quite good at understanding like human communicative signals and emotional states. And so if we're to effectively communicate with them, like if we're, if we're to have that effective communication, that exchange between, you know, us and our dogs, we have to also learn what our dogs are telling us. Um, and man, I was trying to like identify like, you know, what are the, the top three or the top five, you know, like communication signals everyone should know. And it's really hard to just pick one. <laughs> um, and so, or to pick even just a few, uh, cause it really, there's so many different factors as to like what, like, you know, it depends on the context, depends on the individual right. dog. Um, but I would say one thing that kind of popped in my head and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I, I feel like the most important signal to look out for is, is where the dog's body is in relation to what's happening in the environment. So distance is a primary way that dogs communicate. So for example, you know, one of my dogs is fairly sound sensitive. And so if she hears a sound that worries her, you know, let's say I'm in the kitchen and I, um, you know, act like maybe I, clank the pans a little bit too loud or something and she'll like leave the kitchen. And of course, uh, you know, this sounds like painfully obvious, right? Like, of course our dogs move away from the things that are scary, but this can actually be quite subtle. Like I actually see this, this kind of thing, like dogs trying to create distance. I see that being missed a lot. Um, you know, and I think there's a few reasons for this. One is because, well, I would say the main reason is because dogs are often limited in their ability to move away from what's concerning them. So this could be due to them being on leash, but it also is could just be because they're pretty much always in some kind of enclosed space. Um, and I think that we, at least one thing that I've kind of learned about dogs is I think we, um, we don't recognize how much like being in a room, like how small that feels to them, if that makes sense. And so, you know, I think sometimes our dogs, you know, they can't move away in the way that they want to. Um, Maybe, you know, even if we're just like standing in the room in a way, you know, they're like, well, there's two walls behind me. And then there's, you know, someone in front of me, I feel like I can't, I feel like I can't create the distance I want to create. Um, so like when I'm, when I used to, um, do more like dog play groups and stuff, like even just being aware of where the humans were standing in relation to, to the dogs. And even just like me, like stepping, stepping in one direction to kind of give those, give one dog the, the, the ability to, you know, create that space if they need to, to feel like they can create that space is really important. It could really be that subtle. Um, and then, you know, some dogs for whatever reason, um, there's in addition to kind of the, the space, the space actually being limited, some dogs don't walk away, but might use less obvious signals. So they might turn their body away, or maybe they just turn their head away. That like the head turns, you know, like that looking away, that kind of more avoidance, that is 
so subtle. You know, a lot of people just don't see that, but it's very powerful. I think for dogs, it says a lot. Um, and it could be even that they're not even turning their whole head away. They might just be looking away. You know, and that might, might be when you start to see like the whale eye. So the whites of their eyes. Right. And so, you know, I think with this kind of idea, like in my head, when I'm thinking about distance, you know, it could be the dog physically moving away, or it could be again, you know, looking away um, with their actually, actually by turning their head or looking away just with their eyes. It's all kind of about this. I think this, the dog is like just trying to create space in whatever way they can, or at least signal to the the person or other dog, like, I would like some space. (laughs) Um, And, you know, it's funny, I sometimes see this with my own dogs, like if I, you know, try to like cuddle with them or, uh, or pet them, and they're like, you know, sometimes not into it, you know, sometimes they're like, I'm not really into cuddles right now. Um, And that's totally okay. So, you know, and, and they might, um, you know, like my one dog, especially very, very now to me, it's obvious, very obviously, um, will just kind of turn her head away from me. Like I don't, I'm not, I'm not into petting right now. And that to me is like, okay, so I'm going to give you some space. So, you know, they're always using their bodies to ask us for space and we should respect that. It's so interesting hearing you talk about that. It makes me think about, you know, people, maybe could also learn just by watching dogs interact because dogs don't really pet each other or usually like if you're having a healthy, normal dog interaction, they don't like run up and kiss each other's faces right off the bat when they're first meeting. Like, and they do do a lot of like head turns and, you know, arched side body language. And then with humans, we do tend to like walk straight up to a dog, look them right in the eye Um, And if they look away, I think sometimes we can misinterpret that as like, you know, why aren't they paying attention to me? But really that's a body language communication. They're trying to tell us something, but since we don't normally speak dog, we misinterpret it. Wouldn't you say? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think that we are often missing those subtle signs and, and then, and misinterpreting them as like, oh, he's like all the time I hear things like, oh, he's just not paying attention. So like a dog who, you know, maybe I walk up to a dog on the street to greet the dog and I get in the dog's face and try to pet them. And then the dog moves away and starts sniffing and, you know, their guardian might be like, oh, sorry, he's just, you know, he got distracted. He's just not paying attention. That's very, that was intentional on the dog's part. The dog was like, Ooh, this is a little too much for me. I'm just, I'm totally, you know, giving the dog some, some human emotions right now, but you know, the dog, that, that is the dog trying to communicate that they need, they need a little bit of space. They need some time to kind of, you know, whether that's get accustomed to the situation or just, again, just kind of create, create that space. Um, Cause not all dogs, not all dogs want people or other dogs all like, you know, in their face all the time. <laughs> um, and we yeah. humans tend to, to like getting in their faces and like touching them and, and, and whatnot. And, and if your dog doesn't like that stuff, it's totally okay. It's totally normal. There are other ways that we can interact with our dogs that don't involve hugging them and, and, you know, touching them. And I think also, if you think about it with us humans, we have like our space bubble meeting new people. And with dogs, we tend to not 
think that they do, but I, I'm thinking about my friends. Like it takes me a little while before I'm a hugger or I feel comfortable, you know, having them in my real personal space. And I certainly don't think I'd want many of my friends patting my head or grabbing my face and kissing me, you know, but dogs, it seems like people pretty quickly go, you know, you go over to Thanksgiving and you start petting the dog within the first 15 minutes. And then by the end, you're maybe hugging it. What do you think about hugging dogs, especially dogs you don't know? I do not recommend hugging dogs you don't know. (laughs) I, I mean, it really all comes down to body language. You know, I think, I think most often dogs don't appreciate hugging but again, all dogs um, are all, all dogs are individuals. You know, some dogs, based on their learning history, based on their experiences, might not mind, you know, petting or maybe even hugging. Uh, I would say they're probably uh, rare, the dogs who truly don't mind <laughs> hugging. Mm-hmm. Um, I know at least both of my dogs, not fans of hugging. Uh, they, they enjoy petting, but on their terms when they, when they want, when they want to be pet. And, um, and I think, you know, later today, we're going to talk about that more, like looking at, um, you know, how can we tell if our animals want to be touched and, you know, why, why that's so important to learn how to ask our pets for consent. Um, but yeah, I think that, uh, I would just assume I would assume that the, that dogs don't enjoy hugging and and let them tell you that it's something they enjoy. So how do you know that a dog wants to cuddle or wants to be scratched more or wants to be pet? Um, is there is there a way that dogs, you know, um, I, I'm just thinking as we're having this conversation, if someone, um, a total stranger walked up to me on the street and grabbed me by the cheeks and smooched me on the face. I mean, I would call the police, (laughs) you know, because, um, I didn't consent to that. Is there a way that we can ask dogs to consent to more touch? That is such an important question. And I'm so, so glad that we are asking this question more and more because I think that, I mean, I mean, I remember growing up, that just was never something that we talked about, like whether or not the dog wanted to um, be, be touched. It was like, we, we touch the dog when we want to touch the dog. And, you know, like there was, really wasn't this acknowledgement that animals do have a choice. Um, but unfortunately, you know, by living in our very human world, dogs kind of inherently have limited choice and control. And so I think it's important that we, that we recognize that we're aware of that because the, the ability to make choices and have control over their environments, over their experiences is a necessary component of, you know, preventing like negative welfare in our dogs and, and promoting positive welfare, positive well-being um, in our dogs. And, you know, I think just like humans, just like all animals, dogs deserve to have choices. They deserve to say no. 
but you know, we can't verbally ask them for consent. And so that's why it's so important to, to be able to observe their body language. So here is kind of what I, I recommend in terms of like a process, like how, how can I ask my dog if they want to be touched? So I would first, like if you're, you know, walking up to a dog or even with your own dog and you're just hanging out at home in the living room, instead of approaching the dog, try to give them the chance to approach you. And you could, of course, you know, invite them, you know, you can pat your leg or call their name and, and just, but, but give them the choice to approach you rather than you just going right into their space. And once they approach you, let them ask you for the type of engagement that they're looking for. Oftentimes, especially, you know, with the dogs that we have a close relationship with, it's pretty, we, we start to learn, like, what are the, the signs that my dog wants to play versus, what, you know, what does she do when she just wants to, to have to be to be touched, you know, when she, when she wants to be touched, she might do like this, she does this really cute little paw thing. But if she wants to play, she, I don't even know how to describe it, but she does this really goofy, like, like she starts kind of huffing and puffing and play balling and, you know, it's just different. And so, you know, learning, learning about your individual dog, learning how they ask for those things and giving them the chance to ask for the type of engagement that they're looking for. Um, you know, dogs might also, if they want petting, they might kind of nudge your hand or lean into you like a lot of the big breeds like we'll do that leaning into you thing um and so you know just kind of looking out for for signals as in regards to like you know what that dog is looking for um, and then once you start petting or touching or playing with the dog remember to stop frequently and and make sure they're still consenting to the interaction so you know every few seconds or so you just just take your hands off of them and give them a chance to to say yes, keep going or no, I'd like a break. And so, you know, does the dog move closer to you by placing themselves under your hand when you take your hands away? Um, and, and if so, if you're seeing those types of signals, those kind of like keep going signals, you can continue petting, touching or playing with them. But on the other hand, if you like when you uh, pause petting or play, if the dog, you know, tries to move away or looks away or displays other stress signals like lip licking or shaking off um, or kind of, you know, uh, if they all of a sudden like walk away and start sniffing the ground, like I mentioned in my example earlier, you know, it might be, that might be the dog saying, I just, I need a little space. I need a little time and space. So make sure the dog has the ability to create that distance if they would like. So, um, and if, and if they, if they do, if they do create that distance, then you can kind of just start the process over again. So, you know, let them approach you. If they do approach you, let them kind of give them the chance to ask for what they're looking for. Um, you can start petting them and then again, give them a break and see, and see what they, what they want. Do they want more petting or do they want another break? And so I know that like this idea of like, I, when I, when I teach this to, to various students, um, and kind of different, uh, contexts, I, I kind of, it, it, you know, I think people get kind of put off by this idea of interacting with our dogs in this more like systematic way. Like it takes out some of the magic or something, um, you know, of like 
when we're petting and interacting with our dogs, if we're like thinking about these things in this kind of systematic way. But I promise that the more that you do this, the more that you interact with your dogs this way, it, the more natural it feels. It just becomes how you interact with them. It doesn't become like for me, I mean, I've been doing, I've been doing this for a few years now and it, it's not even something I, I think about in my head necessarily. You know, I've done it for so long and I know what to look for. It's just, it's just how we communicate. You know, it's just like how I communicate with with my with my partner or or, or with my family. Um, it's not something I necessarily have to think about and process in my head, but at first it is going to feel a little different because it's new. Uh, but it's so beneficial to to interact with our dogs in this way. Um, and there's a great video, and maybe we can link to this, like in the show notes. There's a great totally. video by Dog Kind is the 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 trainer the training organization that put this together on petting consent tests, and it just shows you, you know, shows you the process. It also shows you, you know, just how natural it looks to to be able to to interact with your dogs in this way. Um, and then you mentioned, I think you mentioned. Um, uh, now I'm trying to remember exactly how you worded your question, but mm-hmm. I would say that, um, you know, if, if you're out and about in the world with your own dog and, um, you know, you have, you know, people wanting to interact with your own dog, consider how you can, can gently guide others on how to give your dog a choice. And so that that's hard because there's a lot of social pressure to have a dog who, you know, gets a lot, like who loves people and, I know for me, you know, when I was out and about, like walking my dog, my dog is very, you know, like if people pay attention to her, she's like, oh, new friend. <laughs> and so, but she, it's very interesting. She likes to say hi to people, but the, but she gets, as soon as they like lean over her and start petting her and getting like kind of in our face, you know, she, her tail starts to go down and she starts looking away and kind of looks at me like, help me mom. And so, and so that's my cue to like, okay, we, this interaction needs to end. And so ideally we don't, I don't even want her in that position in the first place. And so I've started to learn how to guide people from the start on how to interact with her. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I might say, instead of having them come up to her and just start petting her, um, obviously this depends on the exact context, you know, walk, you might not be able to explain to someone how to do a petting consent test, but maybe give them something else they can do. So I might say like, oh, this is Ayla here. Why don't you give her, why don't you ask her to sit and give her a treat? You know, get, have them do something that isn't that like social pressure, like all over her touching her. Um, Those are the things that stress her out. And so, you know, just consider what your dog enjoys, you know, make sure you're watching your dog's body language throughout interactions with other people, throughout your own interactions with your dog, and just make sure your dog always has the freedom and the space to create distance from people or other dogs. If they do, you know, start to get uncomfortable, if they, if they decide that they aren't consenting to the interaction. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's really all about just getting to know our dogs and, and, uh, and listening to what they're saying and, and helping them, helping them out if they decide they're, they're not comfortable with an, with, with something. You know, this is such great information. And I, I think people might say, well, why, why do we want to do this? You know, why w- we've always had dogs. We never learned this, but as someone who's um, 
received the emails at Summit Dog Rescue for the last decade, we get asked almost every day from somebody who has a family pet that, you know, has an emergency, they need to get rid of their dog because, quote, out of the blue, never done it before, bit of, you know, friend who was visiting or bit someone out on a walk. And biting seems to be you know, the last resort for a dog and there were probably a million signals missed along the way. So if we can understand those signals along the way, we could probably prevent a lot of dog bites. Absolutely, for sure. I think, I mean, the, my whole kind of, my whole goal with, with educating people about things like, you know, asking, asking dogs for consent is not only to I mean, if you're, if you're taking those, the, that, those steps, if you're, if you're like asking the dog from the beginning, like letting them approach you and, and letting them communicate with you all along, like the, along the way, um, I mean, you're giving the dog lots of opportunity to move away, to say no, you know, it's, I would say in most, I mean, of course we would probably need research on this, but I would say in most cases, a lot of dogs, you know, they're, they're not going to feel like they need to bite because they always have the opportunity. You're giving the dog the opportunity to move away, to create distance, to say no. And I think that, you know, at least most of the, the, the bites that I've, that I've been, um, you know, asked about, or, or the dogs that I've worked with who have bite histories, it's because they didn't get a, they, they weren't given the option to say no. So I think when we start giving them that option, it's going to make a huge difference and we are going to um, be able to, to decrease dog bites. And we're going to be able to, to just improve the lives of our dogs, which then like, I mean, just giving our dogs the, the ability to say no, it, it enables them to, to develop more trust in us as their guardians and in their environments, because they feel like they're, they have some, control over their environments. And in that, I mean, even in us humans, I don't know about you, but I get really stressed when I don't feel like I'm in control. Um, and so I think even just simple things like this, like a, like a pet and consent test, um, you know, it's, it has the ability to go even go beyond, you know, just preventing dog bites, but also, you know, improving our relationships, improving their, their mental well-being and, and thus improving our own mental well-being because, you know, I'm happier when my dogs are happy. That's for sure. Right. I think last week we interviewed Patricia McConnell and she likened it to going to the dentist and being able to say to your dentist, like, okay, I need a second here, you know, and then explaining the procedure and you being able to stop at interims. Whereas if you went into your dentist and they like strapped you into the chair and you had no, no choice or control, it would be a much more stressful situation. So you know, the more we can have them feel like they have some control and choice, the happier the entire win-win situation will be. For sure. I agree. And it also just strikes me as almost a, hmm, do I want to use the word ethical? Like, is it that maybe it is an ethical thing. We ask our dogs to do so much for us and we expect them to listen to us whenever we tell them to sit, come, leave it, whatever. And it's only fair to listen to them when they ask for something, when they ask for space, when they ask for, um, you know, whatever it may be. 
I completely agree. So what are some other common body language um, signs that people miss in their dogs? Yeah, so I, there there are quite a few. (laughs) Um, I would say like tail wagging is, Mm. is one. So I think a lot of people learn, like I know when I was growing up, I learned that if a dog is wagging their tail, they're happy. And if their tail is tightly tucked between their legs, then the dog is scared and you should leave them alone. But tails are much more complex than, than that. Uh, you know, a wagging tail can, yes, it can mean a dog is happy, but it can also mean, um, you know, a dog is feeling a little anxious or stressed or, um, you know, aroused, so like amped up. But um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's just, I feel like they, we need to learn to not hone in on just one aspect of the dog, of, mm. of their body language. You know, there's an entire body attached to that <laughs> tail that's also displaying very important communicative signals. So we shouldn't just look at the tail. We should also be looking at the eyes and the ears and the muzzle and the position of their head and body. Um, and so this is a, an example of, you know, why we should take into account the context that, that our, that our dog is in at the time. So, you know, a dog wagging their tail when their guardian gets home from work might mean something different than when that same dog wags their tail when the veterinarian walks into the exam room, you know, so there, there might be some, some differences there. Uh, so we should ask ourselves what what's happening in the environment that might be influencing their body language and behavior. And then again, considering the individual dog in front of us, you know, some dogs have individual quirks, so we should be cautious about making, you know, kind of sweeping generalizations, like all dogs are happy when they're wagging their tail. Mm -hmm. Um, We need to be careful about making those generalizations. I just feel like it's so important to, to get to know, you know, what context make my individual dog stressed versus, you know, what context do they feel good in, you know, just to, to get a sense of like a, what, what our dog's baseline is, what does that look like? But then to also keep in mind, just like humans, what a dog is comfortable with may vary from day to day, even minute to minute, uh, depending on several factors. So we should always be monitoring body language, no matter how well we know the dog. Um, and so that's why, like, I think a good thing to keep in mind when we're talking about like body language that we might misinterpret, you know, making sure that we're very objective about our observations rather than kind of just jumping to, you know, emotional interpretations about what our dog is feeling when they're doing X, Y, Z. And again, taking into the, the con- taking into account the context, the whole, like what else is the body doing and, and the individual dog, I, it can help, I think, cut down on those misinter- misinterpretations that we might see. That makes a lot of sense. I also think that looking at how tight their muscles are, like if you don't have enough time to really figure out that, you know, every little body part be like, is their body like loose and wiggly side to side that gives you some information. And if they're really tense and their mouth is tense, you see all the muscles start to tense. That's some information that maybe they're not so comfortable. 
Yeah, I love that. That's, that's, I think, really helpful. Um, and I'm so glad you brought that up because I think that we, at least as like animal trainers, you know, we're, we want to like teach everyone all the things, all the little things to right. look for. But, you know, if we can teach, you know, the, whether or not their, their, their bodies are tense versus loose and wiggly and where, and like the distance thing we mentioned earlier, like where their bodies are in relation to what's happening in their environment. I mean, we can, we can, we can probably, you know, solve a lot of problems if we, if everyone were aware of just those things. I mean, it's so crucial and important and really overlooked often, I think. Okay, so what resources do you recommend for people to learn more about dog body language, all of these subtle signals that we're talking about? I'm so glad that you asked that question. So Fear Free Happy Homes is a wonderful website with so many great resources, including some really well done videos on dog body language. And the thing I love about this site is that everything on the website is approved by a veterinary behaviorist. So you know that you're getting credible information, which is kind of hard to come by on the internet. So I highly recommend checking out Fear Free Happy Homes. And another great resource is I Speak Dog. It's a website, just a kind of fun interactive website about dog body language. And then one of my colleagues, Renee Erdman, she is with... Bravo Dog Knowledge. She has a variety of online courses, um, one of which is a free online course on dog body language. So it's free and I, I'm, she's wonderful and I'm, I have no doubt that that course is amazing. So definitely check that out too. So once people understand body language a little bit more, how do you think guardians um, can incorporate that information into their daily lives with their dogs? So once we understand our dog's body language, it's so important to just keep observing their body language. Um, You know, the more we observe their body language, the better we get at noticing those more subtle signals. And and the more that we, we practice those skills, the more natural it'll start to feel. And, and honestly, I, I find it kind of fun. I, I feel like a little scientist when I'm just like, noticing all the things my dog is doing and, you know, making those observations. And so, you know, have fun with it. And, and over time, you know, this should become a part of your daily life, of your daily life. It should be a part of how we all interact with our dogs, with any dog. And so I think that, you know, once, once we, once we develop these skills, I hope that we will start to listen to our dogs in the same way that we, we listen to the humans that we interact with. Absolutely. Um, I think that once you start paying attention, it just kind of almost opens floodgates of information that you didn't have before. And it can only enrich your relationship with your dog. I mean, we know with human relationships that too much communication is like never a bad thing. <laughs> so. Yeah, for sure. It, it, I really truly believe that learning dog body language is really is the key to, to having better relationships with our dogs. So Emily, behavior is often the missing piece in rescue and shelter work, which is one of the reasons we're doing this podcast. Um, and heart sounds like an incredible resource. Can you tell us about heart and how it works? Yes. 
So HART stands for the Humane Alliance of Rescue Trainers, and it's a nonprofit that matches uh, shelters and rescues with credentialed professionals for training and behavior support. Um, and we, we offer that support at no cost, which is so important with, you know, many shelters and rescues just don't have the resources to, to get behavior and training support. So we, we really felt like this was something that was needed. And all of our trainers and behavior consultants are committed to humane force-free training, which is so important. And, and so for our listeners who are involved in rescues or, um, or shelters, if you need behavior support for your animals, please head to the HEART website. So the link for that, which I know will include in the show notes, but really easy link, it's just rescuetrainers.org. And you'll head to that website and we have a, a contact page with a few different forms. And so you'll, um, if you, I, what I would recommend is filling out the form to request to partner with us before you have a case to submit, ideally, that way we can get started on kind of, you know, making sure that we're the right fit to partner with each other. And we also have some paperwork that we'd like you to sign. That way we can get that out of the way. And, and when you do need um, help with a specific case with a specific animal, that process can go a little bit more quickly. Now, if you do have a case already, if you're listening and you're like, I know exactly, you know, this one dog or many dogs who would benefit from help, that's totally okay too. You can uh, submit a case uh, before you partner with us. And then we'll just kind of go through that, those initial stages of, you know, getting the partner partnership process kind of in the works. Um, and then, you know, try to get you, try to get that case help as soon as, as possible after, after that. Um, and basically how that works is once we receive a case, um, case requests for help, we reach out to our participating trainers to find one who is available to donate up to four sessions to help that animal. And then if you're a credentialed animal trainer um, and are interested in volunteering for us, please also head to our website and fill out the form to request to be a participating trainer. We would love your help. We, as, as we're starting to grow, we're starting to get a lot more interest from shelters and rescues who, who are looking for help. And so we, we would, you know, the more trainers that we have, the better, um, especially those trainers who are credentialed and committed to force-free training. Um, you know, we're, we're really excited to be able to, to provide this resource to shelters and rescues and, and need all the help we can get to, to do that. That's an incredible resource. I mean, this is amazing for rescues and shelters. So thank you for your work on that. Yes. Thank you. Right now with the pandemic, you know, starting to hopefully be behind us, there's so many dogs coming into the shelters and rescues. So it's just the great timing. And I'm so grateful that you guys are doing this. Yeah. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate being able to, to chat about it. And, um, and I'm so, so happy to have just been able to, to be here today and, and talk about body language. It's something I'm very passionate about <laughs> and, uh, it's really, really great to, to get this information out there to guardians. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. This was amazing. Thanks for tuning in. If you liked this episode, don't forget to rate and review. It helps other folks like you find the show. To find out more about our programming and adoptable rescue dogs, you can visit summitdogrescue.org. Thanks to Mike Pesci for the original music and to Alex Lee Ammons and For the Love Media for graphics, production, and editing. See you soon on Pod to the Rescue.